Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Monday, March 10th. We begin with an update on City Council ahead of Tuesday's Finance Committee meeting. We take a look at the agenda with 770 reporter Aurelio Perry, including city-run golf courses and the pensions of public servants. Next, we continue our coverage of COVID-19 with a look at the impact it's having on tourism in our province. We speak with the President of Travel Alberta on what plans are in place to keep the industry rolling during this time of uncertainty. And finally, it's a new book focusing on those not-so-happy times in our lives shared by real people from across the globe. We'll speak with author Margie Taylor about love and loss. Pensions, city-owned golf courses, a financial task force update, all items being covered by a finance committee meeting today. We're joined this morning by 770 CHQR City Hall reporter Aurelio Perry to talk about the issues at hand. Hi, Aurelio. Good morning, Sue, Andrew. Busy day for you today. What are you going to be looking for at City Council? Well, mainly I think the biggest item could be the uh, issue on the golf course that uh, some councillors aren't happy with the speed at which the process is going because council gave previous direction that uh, uh, an RFP be put out a request for proposal for private companies to come in and operate uh, the uh, city's golf courses. Um, There's concern that uh, since about 2013, uh, the city's putting in about $700,000 a year to subsidize golf course o- operation. And it used to be that uh, the golf courses were uh, self-sustaining. They actually uh, provided money to the city, but, you know, more competition from the private sector. Uh, you know, some of the weather that we've had uh, has reduced revenues, increased costs with some of the uh, upgrades that they've done. So, uh, the city's looking at, or councillors are rather, uh, looking to reduce the costs and making these golf courses more sustainable. I believe the speed you're looking for is as slow as molasses in January. Yeah, they're going to uh, they're going to hire a consultant who then is going to sort of set up the groundwork and then we'll re- look take a look at the uh, applications that come in because there's first a uh, request to put in for a ca- uh, consultant and then they're going to formalize the process and then by the third quarter of next year put out the request for uh, the private operators who want to be interested in coming in and running the city's golf courses. Uh, Councillor Ward Sutherland isn't too happy with that. He'd like to see the process sped up quite a bit. Um, he says a lot of it has to do, you know, with wages the city pays. A lot of Some of the jobs are around $30, $30 plus an hour, where he says in the private sector those jobs would be between 18 and $20. And so he says the union can bid on the contract. No issues on that, uh, but uh, he believes that the prices could be low. Uh, price the city could be lower to run these golf courses. They're also going to look at uh, real estate possibilities of two of them, the Richmond Green, which they shut down. Uh, taking a look at how they could possibly do that, develop the, some of those lands. And I guess the report says they can't do it all, and maybe a portion of uh, Shaganapi, not the whole thing, because Shaganapi is quite successful for the city golf courses. I'll take a look at that. Well, yeah, I'm shocked that you say 2013. Yeah, it seems like it has been a long time, Aurelio. Uh, let's uh, touch briefly on pensions and uh, where we're at with that uh, issue in City Hall. Uh, it's basically it's giving councillors an update. A lot has been made about uh, 
these, uh, you know, you know, buzzwords are thrown out, dog whistle politic words are thrown out about gold plated mm-hmm. and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, double pensions and counselors, the mayor having the double pensions. So they're just getting sort of an update on uh, the pension situation and uh, commonly asked questions. A lot of uh, here, city employees are under this plan. This is how they contribute to this plan. Uh, don't see anything shocking in that regard, uh, and that's just up uh, mainly for information, what they do with it, don't know. Tomorrow, there's Community and Protective Services, and they'll get an update there on how to proceed, on how to select uh, an outside company to run the uh, public art program. So that program has been on hold for the past uh, couple of years as the city looks at a better way to deal with the controversial public art program and, you know, selection of the art and that type of thing. So they're going to maybe move it to an outside uh, agency to handle that. And so that program has been on hold. You know, there are projects that will be unveiled, but those are projects that began before uh, council put the moratorium on any new projects. And they've just added a, it says regular, an emergency management committee meeting. They normally do this a couple of times a year, but they've added that tomorrow. So that'll be of interest tomorrow with, uh, you know, basically, I'm sure questions will be, how is the city responding to the coronavirus? And we saw this morning or late yesterday, the city announcing that that safety expo, which normally brings tons of kids to the city hall atrium, has been postponed. Yeah, sounds like a busy day ahead. Thank you for your time this morning, Aurelio. No problem. That's 770 City Hall reporter Aurelio Perry. Coming up on 710, many people choosing to cancel vacation plans because of the coronavirus fears. So we want to find out how the tourism business is doing in Alberta. And the man with the answers is Royce Twin, CEO of Travel Alberta. Royce, good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Good morning. What are you hearing from your travel partners out there right now? Absolutely, there have been cancellations, uh, starting certainly from uh, from our market in China. A lot of cancellations from China, and now it's starting to trickle to other markets as people are just becoming a lot more cautious and um, changing their plans. You know, the travel industry in our province uh, they do a great work, but this is a very interesting situation in that no, uh, not one sector of the travel industry could prepare for something like this. You're right. Our industry, when you think of the tourism industry, is an industry of industries. And so we have to collectively work together to be able to manage the inflows and outflows. And when something like this happens, what we do as an industry is come together and try to think about how we deal with the immediate. But our thoughts always turn to how we go into recovery mode. Royce, and you said industry within industry. So is there sort of a trickle-down effect that maybe most of us wouldn't even think of that would have an effect on tourism here in our province? You're absolutely right. The trickle-down effect could uh, start right from uh, any sort of travel provider, a travel counselor right there getting less business to impact to car rentals, to flights, to hotels, to restaurants, to retail, to attractions, um, and everywhere in between where a tourism dollar touches a business here in Alberta, our industry is worth about $9 billion annually. And so it, it impacts all of these relative businesses that make up that total number.
Well, and the interesting part about this is generally if there's something, you know, globally if prices are high, people will have their staycations within our province and, and gorgeous place to see. But this is a conundrum this time out is we're being told that where there's major gatherings, and I'm thinking maybe like Banff, West Edmonton Mall, or Drumheller, some families in Edmonton and Calgary might not want to be going to those destinations. Yeah, I, and that's the interesting thing about this conversation about what's considered a, a major gathering. Is it 25 people? Is it a couple hundred people in a mall? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where we go back to are the sources of truth, and that is from the outstanding work. And big kudos to our medical community, community and saying, you know, take take the precautions. If you've got an elbow bump, elbow bump, mm-hmm. you know, use, use wipes, those kinds of things, and use some common sense to protect ourselves to limit the spread. Yeah, it's call- a funny situation. Sorry, it's a funny situation that we're in. We're we're world built on human connection, and we're at, we're asked to really monitor how we're connecting with people. You're right, Royce, and you know, common sense, absolutely. But we still have to go about our lives and live our lives for sure. So we can't all hunker down in our homes and shut the door and pull the blinds. Well, that's that's right, and you know what we understand from the WHO is that 93% of these cases are from just four countries, and so that they're suggesting, you know. Continue to travel. Yes, there's there's travel disruption in terms of major events, sporting events, conferences, and those kinds of things. But the less that we travel, certainly in safer countries like Canada, as an, as an example, um, the more impact and economic impact that we're going to have in this industry, which is largely comprised of small and medium enterprises. 98% of our business are those small businesses that service and give great experiences. And we certainly... Uh, uh, you know, hate to, to hurt those businesses as we go through this. So, I mean, I know Travel Alberta, your uh, job to promote travel and uh, to support your partners within the province uh, doing business. I'm wondering what sort of a uh, plan you have over the next maybe uh, days or weeks uh, to talk with your partners. Is there something in place that you folks are going to be working toward? Yeah, absolutely. We really take a Team Alberta approach here in Alberta. We work very tightly with our tourism community. In fact, we've got another briefing with them uh, this morning. And so we'll look at and do an assessment of the impact so far as it relates to cancellations and cancellations coming up to spring and summer. And then our thoughts will turn to how do we best position to mitigate as much as we can the reduction in travel right now and then turn our thoughts to recovery of business afterwards. Because what we do know when we think back to 9-11 or to SARS or to the, the global financial crisis in 2008 and 2009, Travel is one of those sectors that recovers very, very quickly. And so we've got to be ready to get those messages out. Uh, It's a safe destination. It's a great destination to travel to and get ready to compete for that business again. So at this point, Royce, here in Canada, we're in good shape here in Alberta. Yes, we have a few cases, but, you know, what's your message to people and and thoughts on on what we should be doing as as we look forward through into the summer months even? I would really assess this on a day-by-day basis and not be reactive and cancel everything that you're doing, particularly if you're traveling in Canada or the U.S. It remains to be seen in terms of what's happening international. Uh, Go to recognized sources of information, particularly the medical websites, the WHO or the UNWTO, United Nations World Tourism Organization, and look for those sources of truth in terms of travel restrictions and adjust your plans there. But to shut down your travel and shut down your life will have more impact than by, um, um, you know, not doing anything at all. Mm-hmm. So, so just make, adjust those plans if you can. And I guess uh, something we all have to be cognizant of is uh, the hotels, the restaurants and attractions. 
These are run by Albertans. These are run by people who want to remain safe for their family and friends as well. Well, and that's it. And we know that talking to our partners, that they're putting in place their own safety protocols, Mm -hmm. their internal protocols. They want to protect their, their staff. And they want to protect their guests as well. And so you don't want to have any cases uh, that start from our own industry. And so they take it very, very seriously. Uh, they've been through things like this before. And so they've got those protocols in place in order to protect uh, our visitors uh, and our operators alike. Well, we'll be keeping our eye on things for sure, obviously. But in the meantime, you know, going out and spending our dollars, at, at, you know, whether it's at restaurants or, or anything else that we might be doing in the city and in this province to keep things moving for sure. Tough economic times already. So thanks for joining us with your perspective, Royce. Great. Thanks very much for having me. Royce Twin is the CEO of Travel Alberta. You have a trip booked or you're thinking of going on a trip, but the coronavirus or COVID-19 is a bit of a worry for you. So what do you do? We're checking in this morning with our travel expert, Tamara Elliott from globeguide.ca. Tamara, good morning. Good morning. I know a lot of people are worried about this, but some suggestions from you. What do you think? Yeah, well, as this is a very fluid situation, my biggest piece of advice, if you have an international trip coming up, is to just keep monitoring for official updates on airline and government websites right up until you leave. So many airlines continue to cancel flights to places like Italy and Japan, and there are travel advisories affecting certain areas, such as a lockdown in Italy Mm -hmm. that's affected major cities like Milan and Venice. Um, But what you do have to look out for is these things that are kind of changing by the minute. So, for example, uh, in French Polynesia, they just announced that as of March 10th, all passengers, regardless of their nationality who are traveling to Tahiti, must bring a medical certificate no older than five days certifying their health condition. So be in the know before you go or you might not have a document or might not be prepared. Uh, Are there ways that travelers can protect themselves in the event of a cancellation, Tamara? Well, obviously, travel insurance is always a good thing to have, whether it's, you know, a coronavirus outbreak or not. Mm -hmm. Um, But read through your plan carefully to ensure that you're properly covered. Sometimes there can be loopholes for things like whether or not you booked that flight before leaving your home province. So you'll want to watch out for things like that. If maybe you're planning some sort of extended or spontaneous trip and you're booking things as you go, your travel insurance could be uh, void depending on how you're booking things as you go. Okay. Um, The good news, though, is that companies in the travel industry like cruise ships, hotels and airlines, they're starting to ease up now on their typical cancellation policies in a bid to get these new bookings because obviously it's been a little bit of a tough go for a while. Uh, So right now, WestJet is offering one-time change fee waivers for itinerary changes made more than two weeks from departure. Air Canada is allowing guests to change their flight for free if they were scheduled to fly to select airports in places like Italy, China, Japan, Hong Kong, for example. Um, And then there's a lot of American airlines who are really stepping up. So Delta, United, and Alaska are suspending change and cancellation fees for passengers who decide not to travel at all due to concerns about coronavirus. So what about if we decide, listen, we just need a getaway. Are there some destinations that we can consider that maybe are better than others? Well, absolutely. I mean... I would really encourage people not to necessarily put their travel plans on hold for good here. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, this is, you know, a very fluid situation. Um, so, But at this point, most of the Caribbean remains unaffected, as well as a few countries in South America. So right now, heading south is probably the best option. Plus, it's warm, so that's always convenient. <laughs> True. <laughs> uh, keep in mind, like I said, things are changing all the time. So if you're really desperate for a vacation and you're a little concerned that you don't want your plans to be derailed by things like flight can- cancellations, or quarantines. I mean, Canada is a really big country. There's a lot to see here. Absolutely. 
Um, so one of my recommendations would be if you were hoping for a, a European holiday, go to Quebec City. Oh, beautiful. Nice. It's, have you guys been? Old Quebec City. I've never. It's on my Gorgeous. list. Gorgeous. Absolutely amazing. It's it's like the next best thing to being in France, in my opinion. Uh, the foodie scene is fantastic. It has this great uh, preserved city center that's a UNESCO heritage site, amazing Nordic spas, and there's lots of fun outdoor activities like skiing and snowmobiling in the neighboring regions mm-hmm. like Charlevoix. Um, another thing, if you were maybe hoping for a Scandinavian kind of getaway, go to the Yukon instead. Really? Absolutely. The Yukon, it's it's kind of like a Sweden or a Norway or a Finland. Uh, depending on the season, you've got things like dog sledding. You can stay up all night to watch those amazing northern lights. True. Uh, and one of my personal favorite things to do up there is to take a scenic flight over the glaciers in Kluwani Nos- National Park, which borders Alaska. It's absolutely stunning. Wow. Wow, some great advice, Mm -hmm. some great destinations. Thank you very much for your time, Tamara. You're welcome. That's Tamara Elliott from globeguide.ca. It's a book that focuses on the human experience, particularly those parts that can be less than enjoyable, but for the most part, unavoidable. Love and Loss chronicles 25 real stories from across the globe. Author Margie Taylor is a contributor to The New Read, and she joins us now. Good morning, Margie. Good morning to you. Nice to talk to you. Well, let's talk about your journey and why you thought it was important to lend your voice to this project. Well, uh, there's really interesting. Um, the project came about as, a, as an international short story writing contest, and I have been trying to write more short pieces um, to get away from, from working on novels and things that can be done a little more quickly. And I saw this and thought, well, you know, uh, I did have a couple of things I wanted to say, and, and one of them was a piece I was working on to do with um, the aftermath, it's called Aftermath, of my um, my husband dying. So we've been together for 40 years, and uh, he died in 2016, and the contest came out shortly after that. So I wrote a piece about learning to walk again, I called it originally, which is kind of how I felt after uh, after Ken was gone. It was just a whole different sort of world. Um, and then I threw in a, a, a kind of funny story uh, about when we first got together and how I knew that this was going to be the guy that I wanted to spend my life with. So I entered it without really thinking much more about it. And uh, lo and behold, a few months later, they wrote me back and said they'd accepted my entry and uh, it was going to be coming out in this in this book, Love and Loss. And I received a copy uh, two copies actually last week, and it's, they've really done a nice job. You know, um, I've had things published before, and sometimes you look at the book after all the work you put into it and think, really, they couldn't have spent a little more on the cover. You know, I mean, come on, guys, this one's done so nicely that the cover is is very attractive. It's set up nicely. The stories are each um, uh, prefaced by. I guess you'd call them inspirational quotes, you know, um, that, that, that speak to the story itself. Um, the one they've put just before mine is um, by somebody named Al Siebert. It says, when you are hit with life-disrupting events, you will never be the same again. You either cope or you crumble. You become better or bitter. You emerge stronger or weaker. And that's kind of what my story is about, too. So, yeah, it's um, it's really a pleasure to read, and I'm I'm very excited about it. You know, Margie, a loss, it can be crushing, and and often it is mm. for people, but it affects us all so differently. So it's kind of nice, neat to see an anthology of, of different people's different experiences because maybe we find one that we can relate to and, and maybe it helps us express our grief maybe perhaps. 
Well, I think that's really true, Sue. And, you know, the interesting thing about the book, the losses um, and the loves that are that are depicted in this book are so varied. I mean, the very first story is set in Africa, and it's, uh, it's a woman. She doesn't sound very old, but she's literally just buried her seventh child. And she she is waiting for her husband to come home to tell him and it's it's just so poignant and lovely and then the next thing we know we're off in um ireland back in the 60s and then the one after that is talking about uh, a couple um surviving during the london blitz you know it's really um diverse is the, is the word for it and yes there are so many as i said in my own story um I experienced the loss of a husband through death. Other people experience loss of partners through through divorce mm-hmm. or, or the loss of a child, which I can't even think about being so horrible. Um, so loss is, is it's just part of, of living, you know, and the way we, I guess we can choose how we're going to look at it. At the time, you don't feel you have a choice. You think this has happened to me. I have no choice. I've got to get on with it or whatever. But it's true you can find something in it that gives you a little bit of um, a reason to uh, to get up in the morning, I sure. guess. True. Yeah. So yeah. whereas I, I can't see this exactly being on the self-help shelf, who do you think it should, uh, uh, should be flipping through the pages of Love and Loss? I think anybody who has had any kind of um, experience of... Losing somebody, whether it's a child or brother, sister, parent, or whatever, and as there are quite a few stories in here, actually, of people, um, as they get older, looking back at their, their mother, their father, even a grandfather, and, and thinking about things that they wish they could have said to them or, or how that person affected their life. There isn't anybody who gets through life without, without losing somebody. Um, this, the particular book, it's funny because they call it um, the, the Timeless Wisdom series and they pitched it that they wanted writers who were shall we say older (laughs) like myself to uh, speak uh, to write these stories uh, speaking from their own experience so it's it's kind of nice to to have a book that is um, written by and maybe aimed at people who are in their later stages of life Mm -hmm. not their dotage god forbid but (laughs) but have maybe something still to say and and that's something you don't see a lot of you know there's an awful lot of things as you say on the self-help uh, book telling you you know as as young people how to you know how to get ahead in the world and mm-hmm. all this and but for those of us who have done all that for better or for worse it's kind of nice to have something that makes you lets you reflect on what you've done and what you think and the people that were important in your life that's that's what i see uh the the value of this book and this whole series well thank you so much for sharing your story margie we appreciate it Thank you so much, Andrew and Sue, and um, you have a great day. You as well. That's uh, author and contributor to Love and Loss, Margie Taylor. You can find it at exilepublishing.com, and that's E-X-I-S-L-E publishing.com.